Welcome to insert name here. That is, is, is that right? That that doesn't feel right. But feels incomplete. It does. It feels like almost half-assed. At any rate, it's your weekly rundown of what the hell just went down here in D.C. and why it matters to normal people, and not just that beagle two doors down from you who listens to NPR all day while his owner is at work. We're your guides. I'm Scott Remley, Democratic strategist with the firm Vaccaro Blue and noted wet dog enthusiast. Ian Taranji, a member of the One Love Massive Artist Collective and an immigration attorney with Rodriguez and Sanabria, is off this week watching a bear wrestle some kind of fancy pigeon thing. Uh, so with us this week is Democratic media strategist and noted razor skeptic, Josh Nanberg. Josh, welcome. Uh, I hope this appearance strengthens your resume and gets you that Hill internship you've been longing for. And that you're able to continue your fight against Big Razor. Josh, welcome. Thank you. I uh, stopped on the way over here, picked up some new uh, fancy paper and sent it envelopes. Looking forward to sending those resumes out. Uh, you know what? I, and if there's one thing I've learned, it's uh, fancy fancy paper. That's like 40% of getting a job uh, on the Hill. So I, I think you're set. Um, yeah, so thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. So, Scott, it's Sunday, July 16th. What the fuck just happened this week? Well, Josh, I'm glad you asked. The fight over Trump care drags on in a never-ending pace, and this week somehow got even more interminable. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, despite being uh, and despite now being on his third draft uh, of Trump care and claiming, no, 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 this this is the one. You mean See, it this time. Yeah, right. This is the right. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean it this time. Uh, he had to admit that he still. Uh, cannot pull the votes together to get the bill passed. Uh, in fact, last night, the latest excuse was, oh, John McCain is in the hospital, which John McCain's in the hospital. We hope Senator McCain feels better. Um, but, uh, you know, as a reminder on this, Republicans voted lockstep more than 50 times to repeal Obamacare and yet can't make this happen. Josh, a lot has been talked about, about how this is an ongoing disaster for Trump. It makes the Republicans look bad, that they can't govern. It's just a, it's a, uh, strategic mess for them, regardless of the policy, which we've talked about, and it's bad. So here are my questions for you. One, do regular people actually care about how long this is dragging on? And two, what, what, like, if this doesn't pass, if this continues to be a train wreck, like, what do you think happens to Mitch McConnell on this? How do you start? I mean, which, which <laughs> questions first, right? Right. Do regular people actually care? I think they absolutely care because they don't care about who's voting for what or who's up, who's down, what's going on in Washington. I think they're sick of Washington. What they care about is, you know, a lot of them are facing health challenges and right. they have absolutely zero certainty as to how they're going to deal with those. Absolutely. I have a friend who has, uh, who's uh, diabetic and she called me the other day, like just all worked up about it, basically in tears going like they're, they're condemning me to death. And I wanted to say like, okay, that's a little dramatic. And then you realize like, it's, it's not like she's a diabetic. She's been a diabetic all her life. If this flips back and they end coverage for pre-existing conditions like you know the insurance company's gonna be like oh sure we'll cover you for a billion dollars right and that's one of the most sort of striking things about you know the republican shell game on these health care bills they say well we're absolutely going to make sure you they have to cover pre-existing conditions but we don't say they're going to have to pay for it right i'm sure they'll cover it but you'll pay for it which is p.s not covering at all 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say, like, do regular people care? Like, there are indicators now out there that this is causing, you know, the Republican brand, President Trump, all of them. It's actually really starting to, to hurt them. You know, the Washington Post reported today now Trump's approval rating has dropped four points from 40 to 36. You know, that, hey, <laughs> 36. So where, uh, you know, where Josh and I come from, if an incumbent has an approval rating uh, below 40, they're basically dead meat. Um, but, you know, you, you And he's see, not on the upswing either. No, he's not. Although, you know, some of that might be just, you know, it's, for lack of a better way to say it, like noise in the data. You know, 36 is kind of like 38 and kind of like 40. Like, it could be nothing. It could also be that, like, the last little bit of persuadable people who aren't just the hardcore blind Trump base, even they are starting to say, like, what fresh hell is this? Um, There was another, I think it was the New York Times in the last 72 hours reported, you know, by a two to one margin now. People say, you know, they prefer Obamacare to Trump care. All of their efforts to repeal a bad bill that they, well, you know, what they claim is a bad bill, like, that doesn't seem to be working anymore now like people like the thing they're trying to get rid of and they're stuck right because now now it isn't an issue of we're not just dealing with bill we're taking something away from people right and that that's a huge difference it's a functional difference it is a psychological difference i am used to in my way of life now and you know maybe i hate obamacare or maybe i hate barack obama but i like the fact that my kids still on my health insurance i like the fact that i can get my medicine and now you're throwing that into question. Right. Do you think this is, do you think people are more upset about the impact on themselves personally or the impact, like the the other piece of this, which is the way all of this gets paid for is they're just slashing Medicaid, which as we all know is the program that helps basically low-income families be able to like see a family doctor and, you know, not have to get, you know, not try to argue like, oh, I can go to the emergency room for my chemotherapy treatment, which like no hospital in the world does like emergency that, that's not chemo. That that's, not, that's not what that is. That's exactly the kind of example of things that won't get covered. I mean, do you think that, how much of this like ongoing erosion do you think is concern about low-income folks? And how much of it do you think, do you think maybe there are white low-income folks that are finally getting the message? Or is this still like what you said, uh, generally just people sort of being accustomed to a way of life and now it's being taken away? Well, I, I think it's tied to the polling. So you know, on the first question, the part about, you know, do they care about, you know, how it's being paid for? Do they care about those people over there? It doesn't matter. Everyone has an old relative. Everyone has someone Mm -hmm. who's on Medicare or Medicaid or has a neighbor or the nice old lady down the street. Or Sophia who, you know, has the, has the diabetes. Yeah. Right. Diabetes. (laughs) Somewhere Wilford Brimley is smiling and looking east saying, I need some oatmeal. I did that. I did that thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> I've been called worse. But um, so, so that's that's the thing. I mean, we in Washington, we as consultants tend to look at sort of like the aggregate data. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about healthcare, when you're talking about how people are responding to this particular issue, it's very personal. And you can say, I, I like, you can, I can't make the words come out. I like President Trump. You could say I like President Trump, but at the same time, I also like the fact that my grandmother isn't dead in the street. And I, I think that that's really the challenge that they're, they're starting to face. You know, your pro-grandma anti-tax cut agenda has been evident for quite some time now. And I got to tell you, I'm getting a little tired of it. Grandma needs to die. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Big uh, Beard is listening. <laughs> Big Beard is listening. 
Um, because this is a visual medium, what you're all missing right now is Josh has this spectacular beard. I mean, it's just, it is very much, like if Josh walked in with like a, like a, if Josh walked into like any establishment with like a woodsman's axe, nobody would blink because they'd be like, oh, sure, he's probably hunting the wolf. Sight gags on radio are always a recipe for success. I, I tell you, that's, and to both of our listeners, I would say thank you for tuning in. <laughs> so you think this is going to get passed? Hi, Mom. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> We're but, up to three this week, 50%, thanks to Josh's mom. Do, do I think it's going to get passed? No. I, I think the, the John McCain issue, which you sort of glossed, glossed over, yes, we all wish John McCain well. and, and you know, Sure. Let's it, move on from that sentence. It, That's it, hard to say, too. It, it's nice that Mitch McConnell is waiting for him to get back to the Senate to, to try to call a vote on this, but the fact remains that the reason he has to is because without have... every single Republican senator who hasn't already run for the hills— right. They can't even get this bill to the floor. They need John McCain for the procedural vote that lets them start talking about this bill. Right. That's how tenuous it is. That's how unpopular it is. And the governors, a lot of the Republican governors are turning against this too. Brian Sandoval, who's the Republican governor of Nevada, a guy who is looked at as a potential 2020 presidential candidate if, I guess, if Trump implodes and has to get out of the way, although the idea that Trump would like actually hear that is insane. Scott What, what would implosion look like from this <laughs> How much more space? Right. And then Trump fell down a, a bottomless hole and was never seen again. All that all that remained was one eternal tweet of, ah! Which we say for entertainment purposes only. Right. Um, Don't come to our homes. Right. But, you know, Sandoval's against this. Scott Walker, who ran for president in 2016, unsuccessfully was viewed as a very serious threat before sort of Trump got in. I actually was, Scott Walker was the guy I was most scared of because he was a guy that he could sell it. That guy could sell a ketchup pop popsicle to a woman in white gloves he's terrifying you know whereas some of your senators you know ted cruz who's a guy who's looking at running for president again someday you know he's siding with this there's clearly some fracturing in the base well he's, he's trying to run. shape it i mean this is ted cruz amendment that says well we'll let you buy these insurance plans that obama got care got rid of that are very expensive or that are affordable but don't cover anything mm. so once again we'll let you pay for not insurance and that's Ted Cruz's solution. Right. The Ted Cruz solution to everything. Um, but John Kasich's against it. I mean, you know, if, if you are a party of states' rights and listening to governors, it makes it awfully hard. And if you're a senator from one of those states, it, it's very hard to. Uh, yeah, no, that, I mean, that's remarkable. Um, so while Ian is, continues to be away, again, you're listening to Insert Name here. Our guest host this week is Josh Nanberg. Josh, where do you think Ian is this week? I hear he's been kidnapped by some Midwesterners. I hope it goes better for him than it does for Lyanna Stark as wow. we head into the wow. premiere of Game of Thrones tonight. Game of Thrones region. Well done. Yes, the Tower of Joy. I hope he's enjoying himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week, Donald Trump undertook his third overseas trip, uh, visiting France and meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron on the 14th, Bastille Day. It's also the anniversary of the U.S. entry into World War One. Um, so, Josh, setting aside that Trump, the, the first thing he managed to do was compliment Macron's wife as being very fit and in shape, something very presidential. Uh, Macron claimed afterwards that he had lobbied hard on the Paris Climate Accords and trying to get Trump to change his mind and said that he thought uh, that Trump might change his mind and support the fight against global warming after all. Josh, do you, do you think it's possible that Trump's going to see the light on this? I think this president has a very solid moral compass and sticks to his guns on pretty much every policy. I've never seen him change a position. So, yeah. you know, who knows? Wavering is not a thing that this not president a thing he does, does at all. Not a thing no. he does. 
um, you know, I think something that Ian and I have talked about a lot is, you know, after other heads of state meet with him, what is what are the meetings like with that head of state and staff afterwards where they just go, like, Jesus, tap dancing Christ. Like, who is this idiot? Like, whatever you say, he spits back at you. The whole trick is be the last person in his ear before he says something, and he's there. He is and, until the next person gets there. Right. Right. And, and and what we've seen is, you know, this president doesn't mind contradicting something he's previously, previously said. No, he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to see any, con, any any problem with that at all. This is a guy that seems like he could go outside very easily and claim the sky is green and like not care. And, you know, and they'll obviously that whole staff sticks to their guns no matter what. You know, it it's no longer Sean Spicer getting out there defending. Now it's uh, Sarah Huckabee getting out there defending. But it's still the same. Like, no, he meant to say that the sky is green. And we will fight anyone who says otherwise. Right. This, this president has always said that the sky is green. And he has a, a big belief that green skies are good for America. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, now taking that in context, for example, this week, uh, the, one of the sort of lesser heard stories was, and, and, and it sounds obscure, but an iceberg broke away from uh, Antarctica. Now it is uh, basically winter. It is the height of winter in Antarctica right now. But an iceberg, we should we should keep this in, in, in mind. The size of Delaware, like mm-hmm. which admittedly our first state. It was our first state. And the and those beaches are still number one in our hearts. But uh the size of Delaware broke away from the continent. Um and what they're saying now is hey, and spring is coming, the runoff, you know, as things melt there is actually gonna accelerate this stuff. And all the scientists are saying right now seems to be like, well, we can't be sure this is global warming. Which is kind of like stumbling on the aftermath of a car wreck and saying, like, well, we can't be sure there was a collision here. Like, a space monkey might have come down and just trashed all these cars, and that's it. Maybe it was spontaneous combustion. Right. Look, sometimes cars just crash, and we can't explain why. You know, he's he's obviously not a guy who's going to waver on this stuff. So why... Why go to France? Like, why go to France and talk about climate change? I mean, why why go to France is really the the operative okay, so, question. So, question one: Why right. go to France? He was just there. He was just in Europe two weeks ago. He's just he's met with Macron three times already, and I get the impression that he just likes saying yes to people. You know, he was over at the G twenty. Macron said, "Hey, come over for the Bastille Day," and Trump was like, "Hey, I got a plane." Let's so, go. First of all, that was a terrible French accent. It was you terrible. You should be beaten with a stick. <laughs> Second of all, so just to be clear, basically what you're saying is this president operates on some sort of weekend at Bernie's philosophy where, like, well, we could go to the beach house and, like, me and Jonathan Silverman, and it could be great. What yeah. could go wrong? I'm sure, McCrone, you know, we've all been invited invited that friend over. We hope really doesn't say yes. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it would be great to have you guys over for dinner sometime Yeah, you guys in should the come future. by. And then, and then, of course, he rolls in. The first thing he does is be like, dude, bro, your, your wife's, wife's hot. hot. Right. Like, <laughs> wh- who? Why? Like, I don't even know where to unpack that. This is this is what a head of state is. You know, it's, it is, it's the Silvio Berlusconi model. Silvio Berlusconi having been the prime minister of Italy uh, several years back and was a noted train wreck, basically just like Trump. Do you think it's... But like like Trump in every sense of the word. He was a media figure. He was a playboy. Um, right. No, he... And, uh, and he ruined his country. Right. And, and their economy. And, and, right. And they're, and they're digging out of this problem. It's kind of like letting a toddler loose in a Lego exhibit. And now all that they could do is sit there and be like, well, I guess we can put this back together. Somebody should probably remember to bring the crazy glue next time. So do you think this is in part the, – the, the, the other question I have for you is 
you know, George W. Bush was famed for when things were going wrong at home, he would go overseas. And when things were going wrong overseas, he would stay at home. Do you think this is also maybe Trump being there because somebody internally at the White House has figured out if we're here, healthcare goes worse. If we're away, he's distracted a little bit. We're not the center of the discussion all the time. He's just out of the way. Right. And, and, And then, again, I'm using phrases I wouldn't normally use about a president of the United States. And then the, um, Grown-ups can talk about how to solve a problem, and they have a big problem. So who do you think is the grown-up in the White House that's making these decisions? Is it, you know, there's talk now that the chief of staff, Reince Priebus, might be in trouble again and kind of on his way out. And, you know, there's, I mean, at, at any given day, like somebody is the most hated person in the White House by the president, and he hates them all, and he wants to destroy them. Who do you think is the adult in the room there? I mean, I, I think it, it's the it's the baseball analogy. When your team is losing you know, in the majors, like they can't just fire all the players. They can't trade everyone. So they fired the manager. And I think Ryan Spreebers is probably trying to be that adult in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a history that doesn't really mesh with what he's doing right now. It doesn't make sense. So right. if his job, kind of like, you know, when Rahm Emanuel was the chief of staff in the beginning of the, the Obama White House, his job was to maintain order. I think that's Ryan's job, but I don't think it's possible in this White House. Well, boy, I mean, you want to talk about that. You want to talk about the Muppet show analogy, <laughs> right? Like, is Wright's previous Kermit just trying to hold this damn thing all together? Uh, when we come back, we'll talk, we'll continue this a little bit and explore is Wright's previous Kermit or is he actually noted Muppet Lou Zealand? You're, li- <laughs> you're listening to insert name here. I, I think we are Statler and Waldorf in this analogy. Well, yeah, I mean, that's clearly where it's going. So, absolutely. We'll be back. This is a draft. Here at insert name here, we like to think of ourselves as a real podcast. Um, but we're very clearly not, not a real podcast. If we were a real podcast, for example, this space would be occupied by an advertisement, by an actual commercial venture that enjoyed our programming and felt that we reached a sufficiently large enough audience that they would pay to advertise in this space. So like like the Defense Department piping us in and Guantanamo because it were the one thing that could make people crack. <laughs> there it is. Welcome back. You're listening to Insert Name Here. I am Josh Nanberg, sitting in for Ian Taranji, who's on assignment evaluating mass quantities of hot dog consumption. And now we move to Ian's second favorite segment of the week, Moron or Asshole. Moron or Asshole. Scott, this week, the Trump administration, which has spent months claiming there is no smoke and no fire when it comes to allegations of Russian meddling in the 2016 elections, Decided instead to dump a lifetime supply of kerosene on said fire. Yes, they did. Don Jr., the eldest son of the president, the supposed smart son. Right, the smart one. <laughs> released an email Beavis chain or a butthead. on Twitter showing that, in fact, despite now nearly 10 months of denying this, he had personally met and knowingly met with an attorney working for the Russian government offering alleged opposition research about Hillary Clinton. Meeting may have turned out fruitless and... 
they say there was no, it was a nothing burger was the phrase they used. Yes. Well, they actually wanted to discuss was an adoption issue, which is really a sanctions issue between the U.S. and Russia. It's a big damn deal. Why is that? Because it's explicitly illegal. Really? Yes. Go on. Well, you were an opposition researcher. I've dabbled in opposition research. But let's start with what that is, what it means, and how things like this generally work. So for everybody's context on this, research on a, on a political campaign, research is there is a group of people whose job is to sort of organize information. And you organize it for the use of your communications people, your media consultants, your folks like that. Um, you know, the term opposition research sounds dead sexy, but the truth is like what researchers always start with is you do the research on yourself. So you know, like where your potential vulnerabilities are, and then you move on to the opponent. Now people approach campaigns all the time saying, Oh, I have the silver bullet. And as a research person or a high level person in campaign, you generally speaking, like, you know, that these are all generally like crazy people. But, but you meet them in parking lots wearing trench coats in the middle right, of the night. Right. You said, well, I mean, that, or, or as I like to call it, Thursday. Um, but you, you generally listen to them anyway, just on the off chance that it might be a thing. Now, you mentioned it was illegal, and that's the key on this, which is, you know, un, un, under federal law, it is illegal uh, to help any foreign government impact a domestic election in any way. That's treason. And the reason this is... Illegal is because the people that Donald Jr. were meeting with, and he showed this when he gave out all his emails and what he thought was some grand gesture of transparency, but actually has turned into a disaster. The way it was introduced is this is a lawyer representing the Russian government who has information. So, like, it's just a very clear, like, that sounds like a Russian government. That sounds like a government trying to meddle. And so, you know, the while you meet with crazy people. And, you know, then they t- explain to you, I, I, I had to meet with a guy a month ago on a campaign whose whole thing was like, oh, well, actually, all wars are illegal. And the first thing we should do if under the U.N. is like dismantle the government. It's, it's absurd. Sure. But, you know, I, I once had a guy who wanted to build a maglev train across America. Oh, well, that would work. And like, wanted that to be the centerpiece of our campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because it was a campaign for Congress. And yes. <laughs> right. In fact, it was <laughs> in the middle of the Iraq war. Right. But, I mean, part of this is, like, the the thing that a colleague pointed out to me this week is, like, what really should have happened is somebody should have said, like, this sounds like a setup. This sounds like the kind of thing that if it ever came out on the front page of a newspaper, you'd go, wow, that guy is stupid. And they should have called the FBI immediately. But instead he said, hey, sure, let's meet with you. And I'm also going to bring the campaign chairman, who's well tied to Russia. Right. And and my brother-in-law, who's the chief advisor to the presidential candidate. So, boy, this is a disaster. Now, the New York Times is reporting today that apparently the the Trump campaign apparatus, which is still in existence, has doubled their spending on legal fees. They have a problem. They know they have a problem. How much longer do you think they deny this is a problem before Trump tries to actually jump out ahead of it and just starts throwing people under the bus? To protect himself. Well, one of my favorite things about the the legal changes, because they've added Ty Cobb to their legal team. I think, you know. Really? Yes. Honus Wagner and Rogers Hornsby are just waiting in the wings. <laughs> but. Well, your fancy stats may tell you that Russia is or is not a threat all you want. But I know a commie when I see one. I, this, you know. I was staring at my computer screen as this whole thing was unfolding, just not knowing what to say about it. Like, it, like, this whole thing is just so preposterous. Right, the, the only appropriate response seems to be, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Right. And what they said instead was, well, hey, we're new at this. 
Right. Right. <laughs> this is the job. Like you are you are running the president of the United States. You are the senior advisors to the man who will become president of the United States. Hey, we're learning. Like that's not a thing. And by the right. way, on the job training to be president, like this, like, this is that not used to be out. a Republican talking point for a guy who had been a United States senator. Right. Right. Like we didn't think this was such a big deal. Like, and their actions don't indicate it. They didn't think it was a big deal. Right. They they brought senior campaign officials into this meeting. Right. They yeah. they lawyered up weeks before any of this became a lawyer. Like they knew this was a big deal. They knew what they were doing. Right, and on the on the Air Force One shuttle between you know Washington and Europe, which they're running twice weekly now. I hear, apparently, I hear now that if you uh, if you upgrade with the uh, with the mileage stuff, you get mm-hmm. the, you get uh, you get to get on and off the plane first. You can put your bag in the overhead bin in first class. It's it's remarkable. Next to twenty five dollars, <laughs> money well spent. Uh, but <laughs> so all to the Trump organization. So before God this even me. comes out, you know, three days before this comes out, they're saying. You know, holy shit, we have to deal with this. Let's come up with a statement. The White House is working on this. Then Donnie Jr. tweets this stuff out. Right. Just decides to be like, fuck it. I got this. And the president's like, I never heard about this. Right. Like, well, what what were you doing last? Like, this is also a lesson in how not to handle a a crisis communication situation, right? Yeah. Explain how. Like, the first thing you want to do is get out ahead of it. Tell your whole story. Tell your story. Tell it first. Tell it all. Right. They've done. They've told the story. And then they keep, it's like a choose your own adventure, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to tweet this out. You know, does the Should pu- you does tweet this out? If <laughs> yes, turn to page 71. Wait, if, if no, the, turn to page 12. If the public says, okay, cool, turn to page 7. <laughs> if Robert Mueller says, I'd like to see you in my office, <laughs> go to page 9. So, and it just, it keeps being bit by bit by bit by drip by drip. And. Like now there there were three people in the meeting. Now there's 27 people in the meeting. There's a translator. There's a guy who used to be a KGB agent. Like they cannot get their foot out of this bucket. Like no. they, they just keep walking around and like step thump step thump step thump. Right? right. Like they've tripped. They like hit their head on the stove. It's just it just like, it's just turning into like a a, a a a LARP edition of the Three Stooges. Where, like, the only thing that's left is, like, bowling balls need to fall in there. That's what's going to happen, right? We're going to get an Uncle Buck like moment. Somebody's going to go into a closet, and, like, everything's going to fall on his head, and then a bowling ball. And then we're all just going to sit there and be like, I miss the good old days with John Candy. And everybody will turn and look at Clint, Bill Clinton and just be like, remember when the worst thing was just he was making out with chicks half his age? That wasn't so bad. Well, this is just your 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 handy reminder that it, at this point in the Obama administration, the biggest scandal was that the president had put Dijon mustard on a hot dog. Well, I mean, look, I I I personally think that that's a potential firing offense too. Well, I, I hope Ian's exploring that right now. So here's a you bring this up. Well, that's a callback. Hot dog is a hot dog a sandwich? We're getting into this. Joey Chestnut says no. Joey Chestnut says no. Noted hot dog expert. Joey. Yeah, again, but, but he also said. If a hot dog's a sandwich, a gyro or a gyro, as some people call it, is a sandwich. And we all know a hero ain't nothing but a sandwich. Wow. That was deep. So by the transitive property <laughs> of Joey Chestnut's logic, a hot dog is a sandwich. When we come back, we'll talk about the transitive property in our legal system and how the Secretary of Education is standing up for rapists everywhere. You're listening to Insert Name here. Do you have a commercial venture you'd like to associate with a terrible and poorly listened to political podcast? You too can come in as a sponsor of the One Love Massive Collective in this podcast by contacting us at Wokesense84 
or at the at one love massive twitter account Ian's supposed to be trying to make me crack up during this, but as we can see, Ian was born with a sense of humor. No sense th- of humor whatsoever. No sense of humor whatsoever. It's it's really tragic. I right? would like to point out, you can also reach Scott at, uh, at puked on myself. Okay, that's... 87. Okay, again, that's that's reaching Ian. That's his... That's I don't check that Twitter. Uh, I don't know I, anything I about that. I check it for him, and I always retweet. <laughs> I, I make sure to retweet. God damn it, you made me break! God damn it! Welcome back to Insert Name Here. It's Police Week here on Insert Name Here, which we take a little differently than the rest of the city. Josh, uh, we talked about this. Uh, I previewed this a little in the last segment. Uh, this week, a uh, proud anti-school uh, banner woman and uh, somehow current Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, announced that she's going to revisit federal policies regarding Department of Education investigations of sexual assault uh, on college and university campuses. Uh, Betsy struck a bold blow for alleged rapists everywhere, uh, telling their victims that, uh, you know, that rapists have feelings, too, and were too often deprived of their rights of due process. Um, Josh, you know, let's talk about the truth here. There are at most a handful of documented cases of fake allegations of rape and basically, uh, you know, and that the truth is, is that most assault, sexual assaults are go largely unreported and unprosecuted. Uh, in fact, most experts say that the way we treat rape victims, questioning their motives, calling them accusers instead of which they are, which is victims. They are victims of a crime. You don't see people saying, you know, oh, uh, this is a person who's a, an accuser of burgl- burglary. They say their house was broken into. You know, it, th- that this kind of conduct, you know, really just encourages victims to stay silent about attacks against them. Now, right-wing critics, mostly men, point to like the UVA, Rolling Stone debacle, but this seems like a just a mess. Like, what is this about, really? Why is Betsy DeVos, like, taking a bold stand for criminals? I mean, what, why does Betsy DeVos do anything, right? Like, this is How def- does she look herself in the mirror? I don't know, but I bet it's a beautiful mirror. It's the best. It's an amazing mirror. A fabulous mirror. So, but, you know, is she keeping the Trump base happy? Is, is, is this a call out to the Alex Jones men's rights movement, you know, that section of I don't even want to call them part of the Republican Party because I don't think the Republican Party wants to call the part of the Republican Party either. But no, probably exactly. it's like a deal with the devil. Unless we forget, you know, I guess she can't take a bold stance against like alleged child sex slaves on Mars, which was something that Alex Jones was trying to highlight last week that NASA is a child sex slave ring ring on Mars. I believe what? I believe well, you know the the comet pizza was just really the conduit to Mars. Oh, is that like the launch pad? Going to oh, ride the comet I up get to it, Mars because it's a space metaphor. See, See there See it what is. We did there. Wow, this yes. this works on a number of levels. But I mean, this, this is this is a societal problem, and and this is something that I think people don't believe. Right? There was a a, a race. I'm blanking on where it was right now. Where basically the the Republican incumbent lost their race in a Republican area. Because as as attorney general of the state, the the this oh the North Carolina governor that that was the one. Yep, the North Carolina governor. That that little minor race. Right, that, the, right, a huge, massive upset. Yes, 
in which the Democratic, the now Democratic governor won, not by focusing on other sort of Democratic issues that are dominating the conversation in the presidential race, but by pounding the Republican on one thing, untested rape kits. And it worked. Yeah, because people actually, most people think rape is a crime. It is a terrible crime. It is right. a an emotionally devastating experience for anyone who's ever had to go through it. And the idea that, you know, someone in a senior government position would say, nah, we'll get to it, right. just doesn't sit right with people. Maybe we should make sure that the rapists have a voice in this process, too. Right. So, which I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do Scott a solid here and say that, that is not his position. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you clarifying that. Because, you know, opposite researchers will pull that quote. Sometimes. Absolutely. But yes. then I'll whoop them on. It's out of context and it'll turns out I'm right, which will be like the one time I've ever right. Mm. So that is the nature. Of you know, this is an administration that is not concerned about due process on their immigration ban. They're not concerned about due process on deportations. They're not concerned about due process with, uh, you know, alleged uh, terrorists uh, being held at Guantanamo Bay, some of whom are have clear ties to terrorism and some of whom maybe it's sort of starting to be clear now, like maybe, maybe don't exactly like they're not particularly concerned with with with. People's well-being or with women. Right. Um, you know, th- this sort of comes on the heel of another administration decision this week to completely zero out funding for sex education. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a week that a study came out that showed when Texas defunded Planned Parenthood. Abortions went up. And, and teenage pregnancies skyrocketed. Right. Right. Like, these are people that seem to think women are completely expendable. And, you know. That should not that should not be the hallmark of our education policy. It should right. be the, the hallmark of our healthcare policy. But it seems to be a hallmark of the Trump administration. The 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 you know most complimentary he's been to a woman was of course Macron's wife. Macron's wife. It it, it truly is remarkable that part of who part of who delivered the election for Trump Trump were sort of uh when you look at the exit polls, it was white suburban women. Yep. There was a big chunk of white suburban women across income spectrums, although it skewed more sort of lower income folks, folks in households earning less than 50000 a year, that they were a big piece of this. And it seems like the read that the Trump administration has on who their base is is white men. Do you think this will ever bite them in the ass? Do you think those women will stand by their man? How do you think that all plays out? I mean, the, the numbers say it will, in fact, bite them in the ass and and what we're seeing is people, as we hear the stories of the, the Trump administration and their policies, you know, every time one of these things happens, what you hear, you know, some reporter goes to some place where this has, you know, affected a person and says, the person says, well, I didn't think he meant me. And now this is pretty fucked up. Right. Uh, you know, pretty fucked up is the thing that we have to talk about because that's why we're going to, when we come back, we'll do the thing that helped makes us find the lighter side of this. My favorite thing I saw this week. You're listening to Insert Name. You're listening to insert name here because neither Ian nor I are smart enough to come up with a name. <clears throat> but, well, um, do you have do you have something in your throat? I do. Okay. Yeah. Well, in the Politically meantime, transmitted disease. Okay, we already said no to that. But if I, you have an idea for what to call this, you can tweet Ian at woke since eighty four on Twitter. Ian, we're not going with politically transmitted diseases. We're not. As I mentioned, my friend Matt. Uh, came up with Politico de Gallo, which is a take on, for those of you who don't know, Pico de Gallo, 
just sort of like the just tomato cilantro. Who hurt you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another little taste of the police for you. That's my favorite song of all time, Walking on the Moon. Josh, to wrap up, let's end with my favorite thing I saw this week, where we highlight something that gave you hope or made you smile or at least deadened the existential pain of life. Just a moment. Uh, I'll go first um, because I'm awesome. Uh, my favorite thing that I saw this week was uh, Trump and at the, uh, at the parade uh, welcoming him with Macron and the uh, French military band Playing selections by Daft Punk. Like, that's how you do it. And the best part was, like, Macron's there, like, grooving with it and looking really happy. And Trump literally looked like he'd just rather be anywhere else. Like, he had no idea what was going on. He had no appreciation for the music in front of him. And just kind of sat there going, like, oh, yes, this is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so to be, to be somewhat fair, you know, at 39 years old, Macron is very firmly in the Daft Punk demographic. He's 39? He's 39, yes. Jesus Christ. World what leaders if, are younger than we are. What have we done with our life? Nothing. But, right. I mean, like, you know, at least, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a I, I should just go home and die alone without love. It's up to you. But <laughs> I, I, you know, to, to be fair, you've got a great love at home and and... You know, I think she'd be mildly upset, you know, for at least a few minutes. Right. She'd probably be disappointed. There are still some things to work on at the house that I need to get done. What was your favorite thing that you saw this week? My favorite thing this week was we came one step closer to Star Trek and to being able to get the hell out of here. When the the Chinese have now teleported an object into space. What was the object? It was a photon. A photon. So people like you and I who are, let's say, of the larger than a photon variety probably have a long wait before this will be popular, possible. Sure. But, but yes, they sent a photon from China into a satellite in orbit. So it's physics is body shaming us now. Yes. Like just not not just like just any, like everybody else. Just like everybody else. Yes, that's that's brutal. So they sent a photon. I mean, now that is obviously it's a particle, uh, you know, it's a, it's a not anything to be observed with the human eye. You have to use special microscopes and all that. But you're right. It is still like a very big deal that, you know, it's funny. Like so much of the technology we've seen in the last like 20 or 30 years in particular has kind of been driven by Star Trek. Like the guys who invented flip phones will openly admit like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. our inspiration was the communicator on Star Trek. Absolutely. Like, you know, is it like are we eventually going to have like interstellar commerce all based on serenity? Well, we're gonna have to get those sex slaves off Mars somehow. Well, look, I mean, it's just it's a it's a it's a wasted market opportunity out there. Um, you know, speaking of space and the song that brought us in, "Walking on the Moon." Uh, one last thing that I want to highlight today: uh, the July sixteenth is the forty eighth anniversary of the launch of the Apollo eleven mission, which led to humanity's first walk on the moon. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and the often overlooked Michael Collins, the guy who had to stay in the orbiter to make sure everybody could get back home alive. Right. Uh, the designated well, driver. Right, exactly. Michael Collins, <laughs> history's greatest designated driver. Uh, you know, they launched at 9.32 a.m. Eastern on July 16, 1969. Four days later, Armstrong was the first human to set foot on our satellite, a mere 239,000 miles away. It was a soundstage in Studio City. Well, sure. I mean, we all know that that's the truth, that, of course, we never went to the moon and it was all a conspiracy theory. Don't let Buzz hear you say that. You'll fold cockpit. 
Yeah, he will. We can talk about that in a moment. First, Josh, uh, you know, at the end of this month, my uh, my my terrible piece of junk pickup truck will hit one hundred and seventy thousand miles. Should I try to get to two hundred and thirty nine thousand miles? I think if you can make it to the moon and leave it there, <laughs> that might be the the, the that'll thing. be dude. That'll be littering. You've been in that truck. That thing's a disaster. Space junk. Yeah, exactly. It should just be shot into the sun, and that's it. Second, you know. The, the the Apollo program though, and the the space flight program from the you know from the uh, late fifties basically into the early seventies is often heralded as an example of sort of activist government making real investments in a goal with extraordinary benefits to this country. You know, the Apollo program helped benefits bring us, the world, right? I mean, they help bring us things like computers, you know, Velcro. I mean, the, you know, the microwave is part of us is part of like it's a derivative of NASA research. Astronaut ice cream. Arguably the single most important thing now, not to be conf- not to be confused with Dippin' Dots, which is of course the ice cream of the future. And noted uh, Sean Spicer nemesis. Yes, exactly. Um, who do you think wins a fight between like the Dippin' Dots guy from the future bringing it back and Sean Spicer in a bunny suit? I would pay to see it. <laughs> so you know, this was a big investment. It was a big move for America when we did it. Why do you think like this this country doesn't? drive programs like that anymore that we don't have these kinds of inspirational programs that like really lead to strong government investment and with the spin-off being things that actually impact people's lives like wh- what happened well there, there's been there's been this whole movement since you know really since goldwater to further this ideology that, that there's no room for government that we shouldn't be spending anything you know it, it's your money and you can spend it better than the government can and, you know, frankly, that became, went from sort of like a, a fringe ideology being pushed by certain sort of people on the right and moving through the Chamber of Commerce to being our, our federal governing philosophy. Do you think we'll ever have, do you think there will ever be that kind of cause that the government can like rally private industry behind them? Like if, if right now we, we don't seem to have the ability for the government to like actually fund research itself like this, we have to spin it off so that millionaire CEOs can have another story on their yacht you know do you think there's ever a thing that's gonna drive us like that and what do you think that thing would be well we're kind of a victim of our own success here because that came out of the cold war it came out of world war ii right so you know the space program was a response to sputnik right we had to beat the russians we were in a cold war with the russians now apparently the russians are running the white house so there's there's no enemy to to the challenge in these, in these. So if we invest in something, if, if suddenly the Trump administration comes out with like an inspirational thing for us to invest in, the one thing we should look at is the 401ks of every Russian government leader. Absolutely. No, that, I guess that makes sense. Um, so that's all this week. You've survived another one of the insert name here podcasts. You should give yourself a pat on the back. Yes. There, there we, there we go. Yes, thank you to the One Love Massive Collective for hosting us this week. They are DC as fuck. DC as fuck. And you can learn more about them at onelovemassive.com. Follow them on Facebook at One Love Massive DC or on Twitter at, at One Love Massive. Hey, thanks also to our producer, Mike Phillips. You can follow him on Twitter at, at DJ Mike Phillips. That's Phillips with a Z. You can tell because he's edgy. Uh, if you have an idea for the name of this stupid podcast, you can tweet that at us at Ian's uh, Twitter handle, which is at woke since 84. Uh, if we choose your name next week, uh, you'll win this week's prize, a mostly eaten bag of Utz crab chips, which we all know are pretenders to the throne. 
and not nearly as good as Harris Old Bay chips. Uh, Josh, you're our guest this week, so you should get to choose uh, what our uh, suggestion is for this week. What do you think our suggestion is for this week? Well, now that I've seen the pod in action, the mm-hmm. podcast in action, I, I think I'm going to go with something you know fairly descriptive. Like, mm-hmm. how about the uh, the League of Fairly Ordinary Gentlemen? Nah, no, that's that's not that's probably copyright infringement. Doesn't does anybody screen these things? Does does anybody background check these guys before? <laughs> Well, if you have a suggestion, again, tweet us at WokeSince84. Uh, We'll talk to you next week, and happy birthday, Mom.